0: Hey, everybody. Kurt Schilling here. Welcome to the Kurt Schilling Baseball Show, episode 34. Going to get right into it, and we're going to start the top of the show with the guy at the top of the game, uh, Shohei Otani. I'm going to list off some statistics real quick. Runs, hits, home runs, base on balls, RBIs, stolen bases, average, on-base percentage, slugging, OPS, wins, ERA, and strikeouts. Those are the categories that Shohei Otani leads the Anaheim Angels in. Not only that. He had his 24th home run on Sunday, 15-game hitting streak. The last last week for him, uh, this last week, Monday he hit two, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday he hit one each. Bill, I think, and I honestly mean this, I've said to you and I've said many times that I think Mike Trout will be the greatest player alive anybody alive sees. I don't know that I can make that case anymore. Um, I'm not I think sure he you can be, anymore. They, well, I think he may be the great, one of the greatest hitters that ever lived I think he already is this young man is again and I I'm, I think feel like I say this every week when you're talking about something for the first a first in a sport that's a cent over a century old uh century and a half old you're talking about something special I've never seen anything like it uh I've never seen anything close to it there truly hasn't been anything close no. to it in the history no. of baseball nope I mean people want to talk about Babe Ruth but again Babe Ruth didn't wasn't the cleanup hitter and the starting opening day starter for the Yankees he did both. He they overlapped, but there was never a time when he was a, an everyday guy. And I, based on his appearance physically, I don't think he ever probably could have. He is the fastest uh, in Angels history to 150 home runs, and that is not a small thing. Obviously, they're not an original franchise, but when you look at the 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 Angels in the in the history of some players there with Puholtz and and Tim Salmon and Troy Glouse and. You know Garrett Anderson. There have been some pretty damn good offensive players. So in his past eight games, uh, he's hitting four twenty-one in June, five thirty-six over the last eight, with nine home runs, six doubles, and nineteen RBIs. So he's going to win the Player of the Month, and it's just about halfway through. So what we do, guys, we generally have topics, and the guys and I will sit around, or they'll sit around, and we'll run through topics. And generally, they'll put some some questions at the end for me uh, about kind of their look at it and, and the question here is can you put into words how good he is nope have you ever seen anything like him nope and here's the thing it might be uncomfortable to the point of weirdness he's the MVP there is no more valuable player in baseball than this guy none not even close if you're taking his offensive numbers alone he might battle for the MVP if he was a pitcher alone he might battle for the Cy Young but as an MVP this there is no it's not he, if, as long as he stays healthy, he should have the award every year because value-wise, wow. What's the saying, Bill, go woke, go broke? In 125 years, it has not happened. The Giants beat the Dodgers 15 to nothing on Saturday. According to ESPN stats, and info, the Dodgers lost with their largest defeat during a shutout home in 125 years, dating back to an 1898 matchup against the Pirates. <laughs> you know what? Karma is a beautiful thing. Uh, I don't know Bill I don't know if you saw it though the picture of the stadium the day after the 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 pride day it looked like the offseason. there was 200 people in the shot with it behind home that was a no win and they I think they created a no-win situation Bill but I think the the mishandling of it made it way worse than it ever should have been
1: i I, I totally agree
0: so uh and then you know I I, I don't want to ever create a Kurt Schilling baseball show Jinx but we mentioned uh, Dodger pitcher Bobby Miller the other day about his incredible start. Uh, and then he followed that up with seven Ernie's in a little over five innings. The Giants are now a half game behind the Dodgers for second and four and a half behind Arizona. Four and a half behind Arizona. Let that sink in because that's real. What's the worst? And so the question after this one is, what, the worst loss I've ever been a part of? I don't know. I don't remember. I, I was a, a part of enough of them that they kind of meld together. Um, because generally when you're on the bench as a pitcher and those things are happening, you're not paying attention in any capacity because uh, the game's over, like after the sixth. Well, I've um, heard
1: guys say they just they don't care. Fifteen nothing is is better than
0: one nothing. Absolutely, no, not all losses are not created equal. You know what? The loss on April fifth of fifteen nothing, five games into the season, is a lot different than the loss on September thirtieth when you're. I don't know if you remember. Remember, uh, it might have been. It was ninety three, I think. The Dodgers and Giants went into the final day of the season. And I want to say the Giants drubbed them like 12 to nothing, or the Dodgers beat the Giants, because I remember Piazza homing a couple times. They beat them like 10 to nothing. And it was a one game they had to play to get into the postseason or whatever the Giants did. You know, that was painful. But, you know, blowing a lead and losing a game is 100 times more lasting and painful in some clubhouses than losing the game 15-nothing. What you don't want to do, you don't want to lose a game and embarrass yourself doing it. In the sense that, you know, not hustling or nonchalanting things or acting and looking like you don't care. Those are the things you, that you stay away from in a 15 nothing loss. I just saw this, Bill. I just saw uh, read the article. Rob Manfred, here, here's the quote. I am sure that out of an abundance of caution and good judgment, umpires have had questionable situations that they decided just not quite sure. And I am 100% certain they err on the side of no violation. Manford went on to say, nothing arbitrary about the enforcement. The umpires all receive uniform training on what the use of rosin on the mound in the way that it is allowed under the rules. What that feels like and what it feels like when you're doing something illegal, either combining it with rubbing alcohol or sunscreen or some other sticky substance. I guess, Bill, I'd come back with you. What's the point? Why would he say that? What I is he doing? Why he He's the commissioner it. of the game. He's the steward. His job is to promote baseball. I don't know... Why he would put an adversarial position out there for something like this? I don't. I don't really get it. I don't think. It, I don't think it matters. I don't think it had much of an impact if any, uh, because when it comes to on the field stuff and playing, uh, I think the commissioners at the bottom of the list of things players care about and listen to. Well,
1: I think one of the things this commissioner really doesn't like is when players are upset about how the game is being adjudicated. Pitchers universally are saying. We don't know what the line is, right? And how you cross that line to having right. too sticky a substance on your hand.
0: Yeah, well, and, and here's the thing, and and I think I've told you this, Bill. I met Rob. Ma, I was a player rep in 1994. I've I met Rob Manford when he was Bud Selig's assistant. I love the guy. I've always loved the guy. Um, I disagree with him on a lot of things, but I love the. I love him. I think he. I. Contrary to what you might think he's saying and doing, I always felt like baseball being the best sport it could be was always at the core of who he was. That doesn't mean I agree with his decisions or anything like that. What you're doing as commissioner in baseball is akin to herding cats when it comes to the major league. 30 30 billionaires, some far more billionish than others, trying to get them to agree on something. Uh, is like trying to get your wife to agree on where you're going to go to dinner that night. I don't see the point in the comment, I guess is what I'm saying. Even if it was a question he was asked, I feel like he has better PR savvy than what. There's no there's no upside yeah. to him talking about it like Because
1: he definitely comes comes off like he's calling the players out.
0: Yeah. And again, uh, you, you you don't want it. That shouldn't be anything. Hey, I found this interesting. Craig Kimball called for three pitch clock violations in one inning. One on an O2 cat uh, And I think all three were intentional. In the sense that I think he didn't feel the need to hurry up. I got to tell you, I there's some merit. I I wonder. So when it's an O two count, and I throw a pitch O two, I'm setting up the one two pitch. If it's an O two count and the pitch clock forces it to one two, does anything change from the hitter's perspective? I don't know. That's a, that's actually I was thinking about that. It was kind that,
1: of that's really interesting. And someone who commands the strike zone like Kimbrel. I can see exactly what you're saying.
0: Because again, I'm with Maddox. There is no waste pitch. You can get an out with every pitch. And O2, you know, the unfortunate part is young players are taught the wrong philosophy O2. The the point is you have a hitter in such a deep hole in the metrics and statistics say he shouldn't get a hit. And generally when guys get O2 hits, they're for the most part hitting a mistake. But O2... I'm doing some things specifically for the one-two pitch. I don't do those on I, I wonder if that what that mentality and that philosophy potentially changes. And then you guys uh, listed so from 1998 to 2023, major league teams hitting under 240. From 1998 to 2009, no team did it. So starting in 2010, to this year here's the number of teams each year from 2010 on that have hit under 240. One, two, five. Five four zero one one eight four starting in 2020, 11 12 14, and there are nine this year. This is absolutely unequivocally, without a doubt, the direct result of the new hitting philosophy that whole swing up idiocy because coaches and I think it's a horrible philosophy. Coaches, it's not you listen. I honestly believe that you'd have RJ, uh, would have struck out 400 guys in a, in a game today. If guys were taking strikeouts that nonchalantly, strikeouts the only thing you can do as a hitter that I don't need anybody on the defense to act and perform. So, real quick, uh, there's a lot of surprises. This is uh, I didn't see the Reds won their eighth straight on Sunday, sweeping Houston, eight and one over the last on their last nine-game road trip, eleven of their last 13, half game behind Milwaukee in the central. By the way, seven and fifteen on April 23rd. Fascinating stuff. Uh Julio Rodriguez joins Fernando Tatis as the youngest player. To hit 40 home runs and steal 40 bases, the quickest took him 200 games to go 40-40. Tatis Jr. did it in 185. Nobody has achieved it faster in baseball in dating back 120 years. Pretty, pretty amazing.
1: 40-40 um, is a tremendous year. Yeah, they did it in 200 games. Right, that one yeah. blew my mind.
0: Well, here's the thing, real quickly on the next point, uh, Zach Ramilliard came up in a game. This is his debut. He walks in the fifth inning, bunts for a single in the seventh, singles to left in the ninth uh, to tie the game. Then in the 11th, he singles home the winning run. He's the only player since 1901 to have a game-tying hit and a go-ahead hit in the ninth inning or later in the Major League Baseball debut. And the question you guys ask me, I think is really, really appropriate. Uh, There seems to be a lot of history being made around the league. Lots of records that have stood for a long time. Uh, Is this generation player that good? Why is this happening? Okay, that thing I just read you there, Bill, that's not a record. This is what happens when you have uh, really astute guys like Cal and John looking uh, 24-7 for stuff. The amount of... We're talking about things that aren't records. We're talking about things that are you know unique and never been done. Well, I'll bet you that on... Uh, I've struck out more hitters on a Tuesday for a 1-15 start time on the East Coast time zone between April 5th and May 7th, then I mean, the statistics available now, you can shape a, a story around something that no one, a statistical anomaly. So, no, I, I do believe that talent is off the charts in the big leagues, but I don't think that we're seeing, I mean, we're not seeing DiMaggio's 56 gamer uh, or Hank Aaron's 61 uh, or, or, or I mean, uh, Babe Ruth's 60, 61 Maris and Mantle and all that stuff. We're not seeing those things. We're seeing stuff like that, which, again, it's cool. Um, and I think I think it's interesting in the sense that they're calling out things we would have never known, Bill. We would have never known these things if they weren't pointed out to us. Who? Would, all right, so so uh, Julio Rodriguez goes 40-40 in the first 200 games of his career. Who thinks to look up that stat? Not you. No. At the park. It points to something. You know, Tatis did it in 186 games, 185 games, fastest ever. I don't know what that means. I, obviously, it means he's incredibly talented. But – I bet you that if you go back, Ted Williams did some stuff that no one's ever done before that we don't know about Uh, with regards to swinging and missing. I'm sure Ruth did some stuff that we don't know about that would be, you know, you can find it's almost like a political argument. For the most part, both sides can find a a solid foundation to make an argument for their point. Uh, You can find anything to back up a statistic if you want to disparage a player or promote a player. (sighs) Let me uh, clarify what this list is. Top five players that didn't live up to the hype. Now, these are not players that didn't live up to the hype because of they were bad people or did bad things. These were players that weren't the superstars I thought they were going to be. In many cases, they were still, well, not many, but in some cases, they were still very, very good big league players. Uh, a couple of them, but in other cases, you probably, you maybe recognize a couple of names. There's a couple you might not know. This is not a bad list. I'm not pointing. This isn't a bad thing. These are just guys for whatever reason. Most for most of them, it's injuries that delayed, installed their career and held them up, and and some of them just didn't take the next step. But uh, one of the top ones on my list is a guy I play with in Arizona who is a dear, dear friend. I love him to death. I thought he was going to be a Hall of Famer, uh, Junior Spivey. I thought he'll be on my top five bodies. Uh, list too best built teammates I ever had, but Junior could do it all. He was a a middle linebacker built uh, uh, who played second base. Uh, he could hit. He could hit for power. Uh, he was a phenomenal kid too. He just he was just the perfect young baseball player. I thought he was going to be a Hall of Famer. He had a very good career, long career uh, in Arizona. Then went to Milwaukee. Great teammate. I love playing with him. But he never became the superstar than I thought he was going to be and I it, I don't think it was for any other any one reason and I can't pinpoint it but it was, it wasn't work ethic cuz he worked as hard as anybody I ever played with uh it was an attitude he was a great teammate maybe I just expected him to be more than he expected himself to be or whatever but he was a he, he I thought he was going to be a hall of famer the other big one and he was an underachiever because I think the expectations were unrealistic was Greg Jeffries I played with Greg in Philadelphia I loved playing with Greg uh he was a funny guy uh he was beyond talented. I mean, but he was going to be the next Joe DiMaggio, the next Mickey Mantle, and all the things to go with that. And I think that I'll tell you honestly, and I think I said this before, I think Greg ended up being his own worst enemy in the sense that Greg Jeffries took every out he made during a season to heart. Now, I, you love the gamer attitude and, and the never giving up in a bat. He never gave away in a bat, but it's not feasible to play a big league season and hit 650 times and make 400 outs and go berserk after every single one. It's just not physically sustainable. He couldn't not, and he got better, uh, worse sometimes. And it was, like I said, it was never effort. He worked hard, became a very good outfielder when he moved to the outfield. I I also think that when he, the team that he came up with was a bunch of bad dudes. I think the early, uh, the mid eighties Mets, as you've seen documentaries, I don't think they were good people. They were drug abusers and, you know, cocaine and all the things going on in that clubhouse. And they were older veteran team with treated young players like crap. He came up. Greg Jeffries was the first guy I remember coming up with kind of like a Bryce Harper type hype.
1: Oh, the hype was off the charts for him.
0: Off the charts. And uh, it was in New York, too, which doesn't help.
1: Well, you throw um, the New York media into all yeah. of the other and things you New just York mentioned. New York media
0: is still is full of a bunch of some of the worst people on the planet when it comes to writing and covering sports. But he got crushed. And they treated him horribly. And I'm sure that had a negative impact on him. Could have been, should have been, in my opinion, if they'd handled it right when he was young, been a Hall of Famer um, offensively, at least. Okay, this is kind of a cool little thing. So, Bill, you know the short, the Pena kid for Houston, the shortstop? Yes. His father was the most physically talented player I ever played against in any level ever, anywhere. Geronimo Pena was a second baseman with the rookie ball Cardinals when we played them, and I want to say it was not – it might have been Savannah. I've never seen anything like it. Switch hitting, monster, like 50 home run power, 100 stolen base speed, unbelievable defender. Just had it all. I was expecting him to be a Hall of Fame player. I saw him in the minor leagues, and that was he was one of those guys that made me question whether I could ever play in the big leagues. Got a taste of the big leagues and bounced around a little bit, never became anything, which was amazing. I thought he was the most physically talented human being I ever played against at any level. A name for you New Englanders, when I got traded to uh, to Boston to Baltimore in 1988, I was in double A with a pitching staff of pretty talented guys. One of the guys that I was playing with was named Mike Carista. He was my roommate in rookie ball, or in, in Greensboro the year before? Supremely talented guy, way ahead of his time uh, as a pitcher. Uh, had a had a good breaking ball, good change up. But he was uh, he was ahead of his he was way ahead of his years maturity wise. Pitching off the field, nah, he left some things to be desired. A little bit of a rebel. Just got hurt. Never actually made it to the big leagues. But was the guy I was absolutely expecting to be somebody. Three big league pitchers. That I played with one of them had a very good big league career. The other one had a, a could I thought was going to have a better one. And the other one just never took off. Um, Bob Malaki, with the Baltimore Orioles. He came up. I think he went 4-0 in September in his first four starts. Had a couple complete games, a couple of shutouts. One of the best changeups I've ever seen. Big horse of a guy. 245, 255 pounds. Just muscle. Didn't throw hard. 89 to 91 With the phenomenal changeup, injuries kept him from being who I thought he was going to be. But he blew onto the scene when the Orioles uh, surprised the world, shocked the world in 89. Mac was one of the reasons why. Um, And a, uh, a teammate on that team and another pitcher who he had a very good career. He came out of college with probably as much hype as any pitching prospect in history. Uh Ben McDonald came out of LSU, number one. I mean, he was you couldn't ask for for more in a pitcher. He was 6-7, big goofy looking 6-7 by the way. Big time big league curveball right from the outset. Uh long, slender, big body pitcher. Ended up pitching injuries kind of uh, another guy. Not neither one of these guys didn't become who they were supposed to or I thought they were going to be because of work ethic. They were both Phenomenally talented, but Ben was ben had a good career. In, but in, ben uh,
1: had the same kind of hype that Strasburg did when Strasburg came yeah. out. He really did. I, I expected him to be the next coming.
0: Yeah, he was He was pretty special. Um, I think he threw a complete game in his first big league start, too, um, if I remember right. A young guy I played with in Philadelphia. His name was Matt Beach, left-handed pitcher, and it was amazing. He came up, and he beat Greg Maddox in his major league debut. And I don't believe he won another game in the big leagues or he didn't win another game that year. It was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. He beat Maddox and lost. I don't remember how many straight. And it was a combination of things, you know, young pitcher, blah, 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 whatever. I think a kid at the end of his career ended up being his own worst enemy off the field, Um, did a lot of stupid stuff away from the ballpark, but had supreme talent. And uh, he, like I said, he beat Maddox in his his debut and then uh, that's kind of, it's almost like winning the Kentucky Derby, running your first race as a horse. You know, but where do you go from there? And a guy who was on one of those, some of those teams who uh, just didn't become the superstar I thought he was going to become, uh, Desi Relaford, a shortstop, infielder, incredible athlete, small guy, small build, um, cannon for an arm, just never became. The everyday star that his tools, I thought, made him to be um, great kid. I got spoiled, and I used I used Desi as the as the analogy. My first couple of years in the big leagues, my shortstop was Cal Ripken, and that's kind of an unfair barometer, but it was it, it wasn't the gameplay; it was the work ethic. And and Cal Ripken worked harder than any shortstop I ever played with by an immeasurable amount. So I would look at guys. I saw Desi Cannon could hit could run, could move laterally. It had all the tools. The work ethic didn't match anywhere near where Cal was. And it wasn't weight room stuff. It was baseball stuff. Cal did baseball stuff. He took 100 ground balls every day of his career. I saw other guys who didn't work nearly as hard with every bit as much physical gift and physical talent. And I always wondered what Desi could have been had he been that guy who put the, you know, the 25 hour day in one last one, uh, a guy, I had to reach back in the way back machine to remember this one. Uh, when I was in Houston in 1991, we had a shortstop named Eric Yelding. He came from the Toronto organization and uh quick kid. I played against him. He was, he was, I played against him in the minor leagues. He was a star coming up in the minor leagues. We had a I mean, If you go back to that 1991 Astro team, there was an immense amount of young talent around there. I thought he was one of those guys. I thought he would be a guy who played every day in the big leagues and, and got uh, uh recognition and became somebody and never did never panned out. I don't know what it was, whether it was combination work ethic or what, but he was a guy you looked at and thought, okay, he's going to go places. But you know what? I can tell you, I played with hundreds of guys in the minor leagues who were far, far more physically gifted than guys I played with in the big leagues who never sniffed the big leagues because it is a, uh, it's a, narrowing down process that is cruel and uh, but it's absolute because you know I always used to enjoy guys who talk trash at 550 uh, during batting practice because at 705 you can't lie at 705 the rubber meets the road and if you're going to talk trash at 505 you better back it up because everybody on the field heard it all your teammates saw it and you're going to be held out for the phony you are if you keep opening your mouth and don't do stuff and you're going to be gone pretty soon anyway but that was what made the game, I think, so great and so cruel at the same time. It wasn't – I played with guys who loved the game 100 times more than guys I played with in the big leagues. Uh, but love of the game, even though it was a great movie, had nothing to do with being in the big leagues. I think love of the game had to do a lot with what you did off the field uh, and how much work you put in off the field. But it had very little to do with, with keeping you in the big leagues. Uh, I think that's pride. Fear of failure, like I said, that was my big one. I was so afraid to fail that I would do anything. And try anything. And I, I looked under every rock and talked to every person I could in the 20 years I was in the big leagues all the way up until my last year, trying to get better every day. And, you know, I always thought that that saying if I can get one percent better every day, whether it be through video or the weight room or a bullpen or an exercise or, or something every day, then then at the end of the year, I'm on, you know, 362 percent better than I was to start the year. And I believe that. I really did. And and there are a lot of guys that did and worked like it. And then, and again, like I said, most of that list, it wasn't work ethic. It was just, you have to have some some immensely lucky breaks, I think, every now and then, if you're not at the top of the scale from a talent perspective. But then I see a guy like Dustin Bedroy and realize Dustin didn't get any breaks. Dustin just played his ass off and made it to the big leagues at a size and a height when no one else thought he could. Same thing with Jose Altuve. You know, these guys might not have a skill that you look at in, in high school and you go, wow, which Pedroia didn't, but he was a baseball player. Same thing with Kevin Euclid. Nobody, none of those guys are going to blow a scout away. And most of those guys back in the 70s wouldn't even have been drafted. Hey, don't forget, guys, outkick.com. Up in the right-hand corner of the front landing page, click on shows. You'll find the Curt Schilling Baseball Show and a lot of other really good shows. Uh, Dan Dackett's show, Tommy Lahren's show. Obviously, Clay's show, uh, some really, really good stuff. Good, solid, I think very solid content. Uh, And also on Spotify. You can find us on Spotify. So that's it for episode 34. Looking forward to catching up with you guys on Friday of this week. I keep forgetting. I got to tell you, Bill, life is good when you don't know if it's Monday or Friday. We'll catch you guys uh, on the flip side Friday. Bill, Cal, John, you guys, have a good week.